up any newspaper. Sorry, that's so old school. Sign on to any news website. Okay, fine. Check your Snapchat stories. And you're sure to see one word splashed across the headlines. China. If the country were a celebrity, it would be Kim Kardashian constantly hogging the media spotlight with fewer Twitter followers and not so many selfies. And why shouldn't China steal the scene? Its command and control economy is rapidly gaining on the U.S. And of course, the emerging superpower isn't cowering in the trade war with America either. But for us, the real question is, what does ruthless dictatorship mean for multinational companies with entities at home there? And how do those extraordinarily high trade war tariffs, which, by the way, may get even higher, play out in terms of transfer pricing? Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, and we're back with another riveting episode of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And this week's topic is especially relevant as what happens in China does not in any way stay in China. In fact, China's transfer pricing rules and regulations and trade war with the United States are affecting multinationals around the globe, and lots of them. And that's what we'll be discussing today. And by we, I'm referring to a terrific and knowledgeable crew, Agnes Loewe, a taxation professor at Lingnan University in Hong Kong and author of International Transfer Pricing in China post-WTO. She's dialing in from Hong Kong. It's 10 p.m. there. How awesome is she? Our usual podcast rock star is here. Say hello to Cross Border Solutions, chief economist and head of the whole transfer pricing division, Mimi Song. Mimi, thank you for joining us. And our in-house China transfer pricing specialist is here to lend her expertise as well. Join me in welcoming Li Jian Tian, or Maggie, as she's better known around the office, to her inaugural Fiona Show episode. But definitely not her last. Hear what I'm saying, Maggie? Maggie is a transfer pricing manager here at Cross Border Solutions, as well as an adjunct professor of economics at Southern New Hampshire University. Welcome, Maggie. Glad to have you joining us today. And as you know, you can earn a CPE credit for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting two CPE code words in this episode. Email both code words to The Fiona Show, all one word, at xbs.ai, and we'll reply with your certificate. How easy is that? Now, before I pass off the mic, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. you when a country suddenly issues transfer pricing audit guidelines. Exactly. The tax gurus see lots of audits in the future. And that's why you best be on your game if you're transfer pricing in the Philippines. In an August 29th memorandum, the Bureau of Internal Revenue, or the BIR, released standard transfer pricing audit procedures that seem to suggest transfer pricing audits themselves will become standard. Though the Philippines is not an OECD member, the tax authorities adhere to the arm's length principle and they conduct transfer pricing audits to make sure M&Es are adhering to it as well. According to the guidelines, transfer pricing audits should happen in three phases. There's preparation, where the revenue officers review data and documents with a fine-tooth comb. They release an audit plan, explain the issues, the steps you'll need to take, and the timeline they're working on, and thus the timeline you're also working on. And it's only then that the real fun gets underway, the actual audit, where tax authorities study your business in review, and by review, we mean challenge, obviously your transfer pricing methodology, and, of course, if your arm's length conclusion is, in fact, arm's length. 
It's no secret that Ireland has been under pressure to stop politely refusing to collect taxes from multinational companies. No, no, we have enough. Please, you keep it. We don't have to revisit that whole Apple fiasco a few years back, do we? Well, it looks like the pressure's finally getting to Ireland. Its new budget plan includes expanding its current transfer pricing rules to cover more cross-border transactions, an instant extra 10 million euros as the government sees it. Small and mid-sized companies, FYI, when they say cover more cross-border transactions, they're talking to you. Ireland is also adopting the EU's anti-abuse rules, which include controlled foreign company rules designed to put the brakes on creative accounting for the sake of lowering tax bills. Irish real estate funds, you're not off the hook either. The government plans to set limits on interest deductions, ouch, and set maximums on relief on capital disposal, ouch again. As for you, Apple, if we find out you had anything to do with this, we're switching to Android. Will the OECD find a multilateral digital tax solution before unilateral digital services taxes take over? The race is on, and it seems that Italy and Austria are gaining on the OECD. Italy's finance minister, Roberto Gualtieri, announced in mid-October that Italy's digital services tax goes into effect on January 1st, 2020. Italy's DST is a 3% tax on companies with a global revenue of 750 million euros and Italian revenues of at least 5.5 million. As for the Digital services, no surprises there. Their usual online advertising, intermediary platforms, and transmitting digital interface activities. Italy, of course, was among the first to suggest a digital services tax back in 2018, but though it was approved by the Italian parliament, it never went into effect because the government simply didn't issue the implementing regulations. Seriously, Italy? Austria is hot on the revenue trail, too. The finance ministry proposed the 3% tax shortly after EU finance ministers failed to agree on an EU-wide advertising tax last March. Now Austria is in for 5%. That's right, 5 which applies to large companies with annual worldwide revenue of at least 750 million euros, with a minimum of 25 million linked to digital advertising sales in Austria. The government's not totally greedy, though. It plans to divert 15 million euros from digital advertising revenue to help domestic media companies go digital. Of course, technically, once they're digital companies, won't they be on the hook for those digital taxes too? Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu.
an associate professor at Lingnan University in Hong Kong and a tax and transfer pricing writer for M&E Tax, among other publications. Dr. Agnes Lowe researches, studies, and leads courses in international tax planning, tax policy, and of course, transfer pricing. A leading expert on transfer pricing in China, Dr. Lowe's research has appeared in the Journal of the American Taxation Association, the Journal of Accounting and Public Policy, and the Journal of International Accounting, Auditing, and Taxation, among other lofty page turners and we're thrilled to have her here with us today thank you so much for joining us agnes thank you well before we before we dig into the specifics agnes i'm actually curious to learn a little bit more about you um as a faculty member uh you know at lingnan university how how long have you actually been there for um as a faculty member it's um more than 15 years wow at lingnan mm-hmm. That's great. And and I know you cover a lot of different taxation topics, but I think you've been writing about transfer pricing specifically. What is it that you find interesting about transfer pricing? Uh, transfer pricing is a very interesting topic. And actually, um, you have uh, different topics that uh, you can research on. So apart from taxation, financial reporting, corporate governance, etc., you, you, you do have a lot of uh, TPG issues. Right. And, and over the, you know, you've been at the university for oh, 15 years now. What changes have you observed yeah. in transfer pricing over the last few years? Lots of things have been happening, right? Oh. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, of course, there would be a, uh, there is a, a quick changes uh, due to the BAP. So uh, different countries, um, including China and Hong Kong, they issue new regulations. Um, Basically, they are uh, quite uh, in line with the OECD guidelines um, so that they do have a lot of documentation requirements. So uh, different firms, um, they need to prepare different documentation to fulfill this test compliance. So that's that's a good segue into understanding exactly how the OECD and China interact because if I'm not mistaken, China is not a member of the OECD, correct? China is not a member of OECD, um, but it has observer status on the OECD transfer pricing work, working group, mm-hmm. and also um, China involved quite a lot in the BEPS project. Got it. Mm-hmm. So they they've been very involved in the whole BEPS project, right? I mean, they're a very large uh, economic power in, in, on a global basis, so they must have a seat at the table. Yeah. And, and there have been some changes to the transfer pricing regulation, specifically in China, in around 2016? That is correct. Yeah, I think I, uh, Mimi ICT issued uh, in 2016, Bulletin 42 and Article 14. Is that right? Can you talk about that? So you are talking about the documentation requirement? Yeah, like transfer pricing regulation that the current... Oh. The current uh, transfer pricing regulation in China. I think um, the uh, main difference would be the um, TP uh, documentation requirement. So apart from the annual filing and the country by country reporting, mm-hmm. um, China required the uh, TP documentation includes the master file, local file, and special item file. So um, for the master file, so if uh, uh, the MNE have cross-border related party transactions and the ultimate holding company do have such master file, then they need to prepare this. Or if uh, their annual related party transaction exceeds 1 MNB 1 billion, 
and during the year they also need to prepare this. And for the local files, then it depends on the amount of annual related party transaction. For companies that have related party tangible asset transfer exceeds RMB 200 million, financial asset transfer exceeds RMB 100 million, intangible asset transfer exceeds RMB 100 million, or other related party transaction exceeds RMB 40 million, they need to prepare the local file. That sole item files are required for the cost sharing arrangement and fee capitalization. Actually, Mimi, I want to mention that this threshold is uh, listed on the regulation. However, in practical, you know, in practice, I do have clients. Their parent company is in Luxembourg, and it is the manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So actually, contract manufacturer. The parent company also provides back office services and also some intercompany payables and receivables. They require for the, they charge each other for interest. All this transaction amount actually didn't reach out, reach didn't target the threshold. Right. Yeah, like the hundred million RMB. However, it, it's I, significant, yeah, right? Yeah. However, the yeah. tax authority required for the TP analysis, so they ask us to do that. Yeah. So in in practice, it sounds like. The thresholds are guidelines, but you have to be cognizant of the fact that certain companies, if the majority of the transaction or the payments relate to a related party transaction, maybe the de minimis threshold doesn't really apply. Yeah, I guess it's special in China. <laughs> <laughs> China's always very special. Would you agree, Agnes? Yes, I think uh, the threshold is for the requirement for the、uh, TP documentation. You need to prepare by the deadline. But in case if the tax authorities、uh, want to investigate, maybe audit your case, of course you need to provide the information to them, even though you didn't touch the threshold. Exactly. Yeah, I I had a client、yeah. like that. Yeah, they ask for that, and you have to give them that in seven days. In four days, it all depends. Um, you know whatever they request. It's pretty strict.、Mm-hmm. And for just one moment, I'm going to interrupt quickly with our first CPE code word. The first word is dragon. In China, the dragon is seen as a symbol of power and strength. Seems pretty fitting these days, doesn't it? And back to you guys. Thank you. So we were just talking about how China is is a little bit different, and you know these thresholds may or may not be applicable given the situation. I think. China can still make requests. So, specifically related to the local file requirement in China, Agnes, how is that different from other countries in your experience? And then we can, you know, Maggie, maybe you can also interject too. Oh, local file. China requires some more detailed disclosure on the description of the business, related parties, and related party transactions of the local entities than other、uh, than other countries. Uh, especially bulletin forty-two specify that a、uh, value chain analysis and the contribution of local specific factors should be included in the local file. So you need to identify value created and contributed by the Chinese entity through local enhancement, exploitation, and promotion. So please note that promotion is not included in the value chain analysis suggested by BAP. So in China, they emphasize on the importance of the China market promotion as the value driver. Yeah, that's actually been a big area of concern, right? And like, there's there's this concept of of value being created in China because of market development activities.、Mm, yeah.、Mm. Mm. And and 
what about the, you know, how does that play and, and how does that relate to China's adherence to the arm's length principle? I mean, the concept of the arm's length principle here is, is that, simply speaking, it's that two related parties would operate similarly like they were unrelated, right? Or price transactions as if they were unrelated or things of that nature. So if we put it back into that market promotion context, I'm wondering, I mean, is that also uh, perhaps in adherence with the arm's length principle? Yeah, actually it's, it's uh, the same arm's length principle that China follows the OECD's uh, arm's length principle. So if uh, the related party transaction do not follow the arm's length principle in China, then the tax authorities can make adjustments to the transfer price. Right. But, you know, sir, in some ways, is the idea of market promotion and, and market creation that ultimately creates IP in China. And I think a lot of the Chinese tax authorities have perhaps taken a position that the application of the arm's length principle locally would mean more money stays in China. And just uh, hanging on one moment there to ask Fiona a question. Fiona, is China's interpretation of the arm's length principle different than that of other countries? Indeed. China follows the OECD's guidelines on the arm's length principle. But where China differs is that the tax authorities also question the substance of the transactions. If the authorities decide a transaction does not have enough substance, then authorities can deny deductibility of the relevant expenses, even if the taxpayer has sufficiently proven they are at arm's length. So, as you can see, China enlists a vigorous application of the benefits test. So, what about intergroup services, Agnes? Tell us a little bit about how, how China views the provision of uh, intergroup services. Um, for the intergroup services, actually China takes a skeptical view of uh, charges made for the intergroup services. Mm -hmm. And they require a strict application of the benefits tax. So an intergroup service is deductible only if the activities provide to the service recipient with economic and commercial value. That is, an independent enterprise will be willing to pay a third party to perform such activities in similar circumstances. Otherwise, the um, charges are not deductible. Right, right. And, and, you know, you also hear a lot from our customers that it's very hard to get money out of China, too. So, like, any sort of outbound payment, it, 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 it becomes extremely difficult and challenging. So, is it even the case that if you were to be able to support these services as a commercially beneficial and, and you could prove, in, at least qualitatively, that a third party would pay for it, do you still find that it's it's still pretty strict and difficult to um, for a Chinese company to make that payment and to get you know get that expense deduction? Uh, actually, if you can provide a porting to the tax authority to explain the details about the activities, then it would be okay for them for the charges made for intergroup services. So it's about the documentation. But in practice, I see uh, my clients is, I think uh, the the ICT is very strict on the payment, like overseas payment on services, mm -hmm. and also financial interest they should pay, like China pay to outside foreign related right, or right. overseas affiliates. 
So they are very strict on that. And and we've been talking a little bit about market. We were talking a little bit about market promotion, how that creates IP. But there's also another uh, hot topic that I think China uh, has latched onto, which is this concept of location-specific advantages and savings, right? So can you tell us, a, can you give us a little bit of background here, Agnes, you know what? What is what is the concern with a location-specific advantage? What exactly do they mean by that? China test authorities believe that uh, MNEs can enjoy location savings and market premium in China. So, location savings are the lead cost savings divided by MNE when it set up its operations in a low-cost jurisdiction. For example, manufacturing companies can take advantage of well-educated low-cost labor or well-developed low-cost suppliers in China. Market premium is the additional profit divided by MNE by operating in a jurisdiction with unique quality impacting on the demand of a product. For example, Chinese consumers' preference for foreign brands and important products creates opportunities for the firms to charge higher prices and earn additional profits. And in China, I, I think the luxury goods pharmaceutical and automotive industry are affected the most. Chinese test authorities believe that this industry enjoy many location-specific advantages that lead to extraordinary high profits. Actually, here, I mean, we at Cross-Border Solutions, when we work for uh, Chinese clients, we try to search for local comps, especially for those industries that Dr. Agnes just mentioned about that. We try to find local comps so that we believe the local comps can cover the comparability for the local advantage, especially for the manufacturer services or manufacturing services, our sales and marketing, all those. Right. And, and so, Agnes, you know, I, I'd be curious. We're trying to control for location-specific advantages by identifying comparables within the same market. and. You know, what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, would you agree that that would be a good way to control instead of having to actually quantify a location specific advantage? Um, yes, it is. It would be it would be good uh, if you can find some uh, uh, comparable companies uh, in the local market. But uh, I think in practice, it would be you may face some difficulties because uh, uh, you cannot get the uh, for this. Uh, information. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, no, the art of the comparable search, right? It's always reliant on the data that you have access to. And unfortunately, it's 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 limited. But, but at the same time, I think we've had some pretty good success in that regard. I do have sort of one, um, you know, general question and observation that I, you know, maybe it's a personal viewpoint. But Given the current economic environment, I mean, when it comes to China and location-specific advantages, I do agree. Maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there were uh, clearly there were location-specific advantages and, you know, outsourcing manufacturing to a, a plant in China had a lot of cost savings. But hasn't the economic environment in China changed a little bit, Agnes, on the ground there? I mean, is it still considered a, a low-cost jurisdiction? <laughs> yes, um, I agree that the, the economic environment did change in China. Mm, the cost of labor uh, did increase uh, quite a lot in China. But uh, actually, um, the test authorities uh, may believe that um, 
the cost may be compared to some other countries, mm-hmm. quite uh, still quite low in China. And apart from the uh, low cost, they also uh, refer to the education level. So maybe with the same education level of the labor, mm-hmm. they still believe that uh, the cost in China are maybe lower than in other countries. Okay. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. Okay. Well, that's good to know at least the perspective on that. And then what is China's general position in terms of um, transfer pricing? What, what, you know, given that I, I think your statement was very telling, Agnes, in that you know it, it allows us to understand that China's position on location-specific advantages it's, that it still exists, right? But you know, at the same time, maybe you can just give us a little overview on China's current perspective on location-specific advantages in transfer pricing? Actually, um, the Chinese test authorities take the view that the additional profits should be tested in China if they are derived from the unique characteristic of the Chinese market. So that means they believe that the market premium, the location savings, should uh, provide more functions to the Chinese entity. And therefore, uh, more profits should be allocated to the local entity rather than to the overseas-related parties. So in this case, they may use these reasons to make the TP adjustment. And, and, you know, I think what happens if a taxpayer actually disagrees with a, with a TP adjustment? If the taxpayer really disagrees with the adjustment, I think discuss and negotiate with the tax authorities before uh, it becomes finalized. So because although China uh, do have procedures for test administrative review and test litigation, but MNEs have seldom to do so because um, they need to keep good relation with the local government. And if I could just interrupt once again to ask Fiona, Fiona, what are the chances of a transfer pricing audit in China? The chances of transfer pricing audit is high, and unfortunately, the chances of transfer pricing adjustments from is also high. In fact, almost no transfer pricing audit cases concluded without any adjustments during the past five years. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about transfer pricing compliance. And, you know, there's also been this sort of crossover between transfer pricing and and custom-specific transfer pricing compliance, right? And so, you know, they haven't always crossed worlds. And yet, I wonder, I think in China, from what I've heard, 
there is this um, there's there's more attention paid to well what's your transfer pricing on your customs related taxes versus your related party transactions on an M and E level is that something that has been more prominent in China these days this this sort of uh, alignment between transfer price and customs prices yes that's right um, the China custom are uh, paying more attention to transfer pricing enforcement now. Uh, since uh, 2016, uh, importers in China are required to disclose all related party transactions in their declaration form. Uh, so, although many MNEs have uh, experience in TP compliance for tax authorities, um, they may have less experience in TP compliance for China customs. So, maybe they need to pay more attention to that. Got it. And is there anything a company can do specifically to? Prepare, you know, for or anticipate that uh, um, the customs, the customs tax agents might look at the transfer pricing results and then try to compare the results. Is there anything that they can do? Are they the same people, by the way, or usually different agents? And in many jurisdictions, they're different. So、um, I think um, uh, because it is.、Um, It's still the relatability transaction and transfer price, so maybe they would、uh, assign、um, the same group to do this.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but the MNU should have a good planning、um, to prepare for this.、Uh, although uh, the MNU do have the the documentation for the test filing, but on top of that, they should also prepare documentation to explain pricing mechanism for individual goods imported to China. Uh, not just the、uh, over for the over entities、uh, for the tax filing.、Uh, especially, they can add the、uh, analysis on the gross profit level to prove that the imported price is not too low. Understood. So maybe doing some additional PLI calculations, right? Because usually we don't necessarily always look at the gross profit margin for transfer pricing purposes, but that's. Uh, that's just based on the reliability of the PLI, but th- that might be another way to prepare for that, right, Agnes?、Mm, yeah. And if I could cut in once more to ask Fiona, Fiona, how do you recommend MNEs prepare for custom-specific transfer pricing? The goal is to be prepared to address the individual goods or shipments that are of special interest to China Customs. It's wise to appoint a specific team to handle customs-specific inquiries. Make sure the team includes experts in logistics, legal, compliance, finance, and overall business. Importers should have separate explanations of China-specific pricing mechanism, including support documentation. Be sure to include versions in Chinese as well. Engage outside help to evaluate the dutiable values of imported goods, including royalties and licensing arrangements. What? You know, I, I I saw this term,、uh, transfer pricing dawn raid. What exactly is that? And and you know, can you give us a little bit of a sense of what is this idea of a dawn raid? That is the China custom to go to your company for transfer pricing audit without prior notification. Ah,、uh, they do so because they want to prevent the company from destroying any evidence. Ah,、um, <laughs> I believe that、uh, the China custom often、uh, pursue this. Uh, TP enforcement in this form,、uh, so to avoid you to、uh, get rid of any evidence. Wow! How often do those raids occur?、Mm, for this one,、uh, I'm not quite sure. I know that there are more and more cases related to this, but there is no statistic for this uh, particular uh, uh, 
enforcement. Yep. Gosh, that's 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 crazy. But and so they just come into your office unexpectedly and ask for all the reports <laughs> and information. And what can a company do in anticipation that you know they could be targeted for this raid at, at any moment in time? Um, I think the company should uh, fully cooperate with the China Custom. The company should assign a designated employee who is familiar with the company's operation and also the TP policy to deal with the custom. Mm. The employee should record the which documents the custom take, the person they interview, and all the questions they ask. Also, seek professional or legal advice when necessary. And this is Matthew returning just one more time for a quick interruption so I can reveal our next CPE code word. And that word is forbidden, as in, if you haven't been to the Forbidden City in Beijing, what are you waiting for? I have not been there yet, Matthew. Oh, well, that's directed at you, <laughs> yeah, Mimi. Anyway, right. back to what you guys. What are you waiting for? <laughs> Good weather, perhaps? <laughs> so... So, you know, right now, I mean, we've talked a little bit about the the current climate in China and when it comes to transfer pricing and customs. But there there's a bigger sort of interesting political environment happening. Right. And there's, um, you know, a lot of scrutiny is happening with China. And, and I think that's creating an environment where compliance is becoming more important than ever. Would you agree, Agnes? Yeah, that's that's right. So how how has the US imposed tariffs on China? Tariffs are levy at the time of import. So uh, the US um, issue notice of action to impose an increased tariff on goods from China. So um, the US has so far uh, imposed tariffs on thing more than $550 billion of Chinese goods. Wow. And these tariffs, I mean, I think these tariffs are being applied because of the country of origin, right? And so they'll always get charged yeah. to China, no matter where the product is actually shipped from? I think so, but I didn't check the actual regulation. Um, I think the originated uh, from China means that the product is made in China. So I believe right. you can not just uh, avoid the tariff by just shipping to uh, some countries first and then to U.S. And Agnes, this is Matthew just cutting in for a moment because I just want to verify um, that m can also be strategic in how they treat things like transshipments or bonded warehousing where they can try to get rid of that uh, originated in China label and thereby uh, circumvent the tariff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right, excellent. And also on the other side, um, Chinese government also, you know, charge in I mean, target for the U.S. manufactured products, right? Like agriculture's and especially automotive products. And I think in response, Chinese government also issue another like seventy-five billion of tariffs on the U.S. made. Consumer goods. So basically, it's like you charge a tariff, I'm going to charge another tariff. It's, it's right. So clearly, this this back and forth in terms of making it more expensive to do business with one another. Yeah, and definitely affected the transfer pricing. Well, you know, I also think though that that imposition of a tariff thereby 
perhaps mitigates any location-specific savings advantages that might be in play. Um, and I think that ultimately has an impact to the transfer pricing position and, and you know, the uh, what a company should be taxed on at the end of the day, you know, because these tariffs are sort of at a different level than the multinational, than the taxation of the multinational enterprise, right? So, and, and I mean, this is, this is what it sort of comes down to. It, this tariff treatment, it can clearly raise comparability issues. Wouldn't you agree, Agnes? I mean, it could clearly have an impact to the actual transfer price. And is there anything that you would suggest could be a way to quantify that sort of adjustment? Yes, I agree that um, there would be comparability issues. Uh, for example, if the related party in the United States is subject to the increased tariffs, but the comparable companies are not subject to the same tariffs, then there would be comparability issues. Exactly. So some adjustment to the arms range may be appropriate in this case. However, it would be difficult to quantify such adjustment due to the lack of publicly available information. Right. Because mm-hmm. we don't have that level of segmented detail either, especially when you're looking at third-party comparable companies, right? What about the impact to, I mean, it's it's the same thing with an impact to the value that's reported to the customs office, right? And the value of the products. Because, you know, with the tariff, all of a sudden, the prices are going to be impacted. So um, the tariff, of course, will um, increase the cost of goods sold. And then in this case, the operating margin of the importer will reduce if such costs cannot be transferred to the consumer. So, for example, if uh, answering profit margin of the importer should be uh, 4 to 6%, but the actual profit margin of the importer reduced to 3% after the tariff, then in this case, you may need to make uh, TP adjustment to increase the profits of the importer. So generally speaking, and clearly we're in the midst of this this trade war between the U.S. and China. And how is that impacting the multinationals in China? And, and what what do you think that they can do today, Agnes? Um, yes, that's why the trade war, of course, affecting the MNEs in China because uh, the increasing tariff cost. To deal with this, uh, MNEs in China may consider whether to transform their supply chain structure mm-hmm. by relocating parts of their operations in other countries. And from a transfer pricing uh, perspective, companies need to assess the impact of the transformation of value chain and consider the TP practice and also the risk in different jurisdictions. So good planning and detailed TP documentation are necessary for carrying out such transformation. And, and Maggie, are any of your current customers actually you know, evaluating their existing supply chain structure and thinking about moving production facilities at this point? Yeah, I do have clients there consider about uh, like resource from other countries, like other than China, mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. their options, yeah. Well, so, and I think an important point to note is that many, you know, many of these companies might be going to other Far East Asian countries or Asian countries such as Vietnam, Malaysia, Thailand, and I think we just had heard that Thailand is just initiated new tax reform 
to be able to entice companies to come and establish their production facilities there. So, Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-Border Solutions AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. Well, that was enlightening. Thank you so much, Agnes, for those great insights. We have just enough time for my favorite part of the show, what we want to know, and here's how it works. We put an expert in the hot seat, and right now, today, that's Maggie, who's with us in the office, and ask a rapid-fire round of surprise questions. Maggie, are you ready? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Don't scare that, me. <laughs> <laughs> that was question one, and you have passed. Uh, the question number two, what do you feel are the biggest misconceptions about transfer pricing? Most of people think transfer pricing is not important. However, it's so important regarding the international tax related topics, right? You just, yeah. it, it gets overlooked in the grand scheme of things. That's correct. And right now, the tax authorities is more strict. They generate more and more like triple of the previous uh, revenue from transfer pricing. Like, transfer pricing adjustment. And what is your overall opinion of transfer pricing in China? What do you think separates it from the rest of the world? Uh, I would say China is more strict than other APEC countries. And I don't compare China with other like EMEA countries, just say in mm -hmm. APEC. I would say China is the most strict country. And for an example, they don't strict follow the regulation. Although we, you know, we have a deadline, but anytime if they require for the TP documentation, we have to provide at the, you know, they propose the time. Right. And even they said, you know, the TP, if they request and we can submit in 30 days, but usually I have client come back to us, you know, can you help us in seven days right. instead of 30 days. Right. And yeah, they are strict on financial transactions like strict on the interest charging between, right. especially for the interest if you pay to the overseas companies, they do the screening very strictly. Right, and they want to make sure you're not thinly capitalizing. You know, you're not breaking any of the thin cap rules. Right, right. and also yeah. I mentioned that about services. Mm -hmm. If uh, other for, you know, foreign countries provided services to China, they are you know, uh, they will be strict. They'll, they'll look at that very closely. That's Absolutely. Correct. And how do you handle your most stressful moments here at Cross Border? I know Mimi's right Joking. there. <laughs> 
joking with my team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. How have students changed most from when you started teaching? How have they changed? I think um, what's, Lee, the, what's okay. the Snapchat doing to them? <laughs> right now, these days, the kids are more technology oriented. They know more than me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and you work for a tech company now, so. Oh, yeah, yeah right. that's correct. That's why I'm here and, to learn. And there's been a lot of great literature on the subject, but what do you think makes a great teacher a great teacher? I guess caring and loving. I mean, yeah. Knowledgeable is, of course, you have to be knowledgeable and pretend that you know you know more than your students. But these days, I, as I just said, students know they are high technology oriented. So sometimes I I do feel they know more than me, but still, so well, you got to know more about transfer pricing than they do, at least at that point. Yeah, <laughs> I learn a lot actually at Cross Border Solutions. So I'm proud of you know sometimes I have to uh, you know communicate with my student and mm -hmm. tell them how great if you are in a high technology company, so that you learn from there, so and then you can be a good professor to tell your empirical experience to your students, and they love that. For sure. And above all, what do you want your students to learn from you? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, actually, you take your learning, time with it. I mean, keep learning all the time. Whenever, you know, wherever you are, whenever you are, you know, no matter where you are, you have to learn. Always try to learn. Keep yourself up to date. Never stop being a student and never stop paying tuition. That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> I'm kidding. Maggie, thank you so much for being on the spot today. We thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'm sweating. <laughs> That's great. And all right, that concludes today's episode of The Fiona Show. Agnes, Mimi, Maggie, what a terrific discussion. Thanks for sharing all of that expertise. Who knew talking about one of the world's leading economies could be so much fun? Okay, I'll say it, not me. There's so much going on in transfer pricing these days, so don't let today's episode of The Fiona Show be your last. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. And hey, while you're there, here's an idea. Subscribe to our sister podcast, The Fiona Show, hot off the press as well. And we'll fill you in on transfer pricing news, issues, and updates every week. This podcast was hosted, edited, and engineered by yours truly, Matthew DeMello. Our executive producer, Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom, writes these glowing scripts. Yes, she made me say that. Stay tuned next week for more need-to-know transfer pricing right here on The Fiona Show. Thank you.